Good morning. Um, yeah, so have those open with you. We'll be going into our second part of our message uh, series called Body Life, and here it is for you. Um, again, I, I mentioned this last week. Normally, it is our pattern to uh, speak about resolution at the end of the year, not so much about the resolutions that we all make and then in 60 days give up on, because what's the point of that, right? No, it's usually about looking back the first week at what God has done in us, amongst us, and through us as a church here in Squamish uh, on one Sunday, and then the following Sunday, dreaming forward and, and, and asking the Lord, where, where do you want to take us? What, what do you need to do with us and us and hopefully through us here in Squamish? But I felt quite uh, moved uh, a few weeks ago to uh, change that up a little bit. And as I've already said, I think it's a good preface for what we're going to be looking at when it comes to the gifts of God. The Holy Spirit put on, uh, on my mind this idea of body life. It's a series that we did about five years ago. It was a pivotal point in the life of our church, I believe. It was about five to six weeks in that series, and uh, I think it really helped solidify in the minds of uh, us as uh, Christians, as the church, what that looks like, what that really looks like. And so we didn't just take the opinions of others and, and our own traditions. We, we went to the Scripture, we looked at it in depth, and... Um, some surprises developed, good surprises, I hope, for some of you. And so I believe it was quite pivotal. Um, as we discovered, it was based on the fact that Jesus, at one point in Matthew chapter 16, it's recorded in his ministry. He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he personalized it, who do you say that I am? Peter steps up and gets it right and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it was at that point that Jesus said this, and I tell you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. I emphasize that, my church. It's his church. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his church. That's the first time in the scripture that Jesus uses that word. And we looked at it last week. It is the word ecclesia. And it's a word that has been translated in most of our Bibles as the word church. And we spent some time last week unpacking that and going back into the history of that. I won't repeat everything today related to that. I would encourage you, if you didn't see last or hear last week's message, you can do that online. It would be helpful. But the, the, the translation has not really represented what Jesus had in mind, and that's our goal as a church. Was our goal, is our goal, will hopefully always be our goal, is to ask the question, what did Jesus have in mind? Really? Because we're following him. Right? We're not following me or, or any particular church or denomination. We are following Jesus. So what did he have in mind? The Greek word literally means a gathering of called out ones. This was radically new. When Jesus said this to his disciples, they're probably scratching their heads and going, okay, so this is going to be the Jewish religion 2.0, right? And, and they didn't quite get it at that time. And quite frankly, many of us today also don't get it. So as I shared last week, I trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was 23 years of age, uh, a number of years ago now, and it was in a small Protestant church in downtown Toronto, raised Catholic. And the first thing that, that came to my mind when I actually realized that Jesus is God, that he really did die on the cross and in my place and for my sins, and that I, I was a sinner and I needed to repent and I needed him, the thing that God put on my mind at that time was two things. Number one, his word, the Bible. I'd never really opened it, you know, in 22 years of being an altar boy and a Catholic and schools and all the rest, I never really opened it. Oh, maybe a little bit, skimmed it a bit, but the Bible, the Word of God. But secondly was that subject that I mentioned, ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. 
You see, for me, it was like, okay, I knew the Catholic Church. I knew the priests, the bishops, the cardinal, popes. I knew the structure. I knew the order. I knew how it worked, apparently. So I'm in this new thing, and I needed to understand what it was all about. So I dug into this word ecclesia, which we get the word church from. And, and, and as I mentioned very briefly, I'll just say just to give a couple of recaps. Um, for about 12, 14 years, was in different churches because of different communities that we moved to and lived in. And I was starting to get a bit puzzled because the way things were being taught, it was like, it was reminding me, quite frankly, of Catholicism in the sense that it was just rules and regulations and we do things this way and that way. And, and, and then I'd go read the Gospels myself. I'd read about Jesus and what he had to say and, and how he led his disciples and how the church got started in the book of Acts. And I was scratching my head going, this, I, 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 are we doing this right? <laughs> like, because I don't know. I, I got quite discouraged about 12, 13, 14 years in. And then, as I mentioned last week, I, I found a book. Uh, and I've been reviewing that book, actually, uh, more since last Sunday. Uh, the book was called Body Life, written by Pastor Ray Stedman, who's with Jesus today. He's no longer living. Um, it was an awesome book. I want to put back the quote on screen for you that I mentioned last week, because this was, again, when I saw this quote, things changed for me quite a bit, and it intrigued me about his book, because it's near the beginning of the book. He said this, the church, this gathering of called out ones, is a living organism. In the physical body, the hand moves when the brain says to, so too the members of Jesus's spiritual body takes direction from him as our head. Jesus gives each member gifts and talents, making himself alive within his church. He equips his people to love one another and to serve in unity his kingdom. This is body life. Those two words, when I first read them, living organism, like you you might be here today going, Glenn, (laughs) that's always thought that. I didn't. So I was a businessman at the time and I, I, well, not everything, but I knew a lot about organizations and org charts, right? And, and that's what I was seeing in the church, was this organizational approach to everything. And then, of course, I read Living Organism. A- at that point, my mind kind of exploded a little bit. Now, scripture that I was reading that talked about the body, right, and members of a body, things like that started to really make sense, really made a lot of sense to me. And so I believe once you get that, then you read these passages as we did last Sunday, you, you, be, you begin to realize that Jesus had something different in mind. Amen? And so we're always, we're constantly as a church looking to understand that better. We, we, we believe we understand certain things and certain foundational things. Um, doctrine is truth. It doesn't change. But how we function in this context, in this community, or wherever we might be, it changes. It changes. Times change. So everything was new with Jesus, especially this other point that we looked at last week that I must review with you. The idea of temples, right? Where the people of Israel once had a temple, they they had a temple. They had specific instructions how to build this temple and what it was for. What was it for? For the presence of God. He would dwell in this temple, and he did. And the people of Israel knew that, and so would go to this temple, to this building in Jerusalem. They would go there because the presence of God would be there and they'd have this worshipful experience. They would experience the presence of God. That's as close as they could get to him, unless you were a priest. 
Well, we knew that God did dwell there, but then we also know that Jesus came as God in the flesh. God in the flesh, in, in a human being, changed things dramatically. And as I showed you last week, I'll put the verses on screen again, he completely blew the minds of the religious leaders in the day when he said this. Now, you've got to imagine, I, I maybe didn't illustrate it properly last week, but I was thinking about it this week. You've got to imagine, Jesus is standing here, kind of, and they're here, and behind them is the temple, right? This amazing, amazing edifice and building where they went to worship God. And then Jesus says, without pointing, I believe, at that building, he says these words, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. That's a bit confusing, (laughs) which is why their response was, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? Clearly, they were a bit baffled and, quite frankly, thought he was delusional. Maybe, you think? John continues writing and says this, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So as we concluded last week, when when Jesus ascended, right, and he said to his disciples, and he'd been teaching them all along, he says, look, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you another helper, one who will live in you, the Holy Spirit of God. And so as we learned last week, the temple has moved from a physical building to Jesus, to us, to us. And and that's one of the reasons why it's ludicrous for us to today believe that somehow a building is sacred, right? But sometimes we're taught that. Paul makes it clear to us that we are this temple when he said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, he says, or do you not know, <coughs> excuse me, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, so what? So here's what you do. Glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Body. So this led us then to conclude as a church many years ago, and this is one of the things that we believe today clearly, and it's one of the statements you'll find on our website. You'll hear me saying it repeatedly, hopefully. Um, We concluded this about the church, and that is this. The church is not a building, a place, or an event. It is us. We are the church, you and I, those of us who have the Holy Spirit of God in us. So now for the rest of our time here this morning, I want to look at, with that as our preface, part two to that, and I really want us to think about that fact that I just made, and that is, if we are the church, if we individually are the church, and we are, then that changes everything, does it not? The focus is now, look, on our lives on our words, on our actions, on our, our deeds, or the lack thereof, right? When it comes to what the church looks like, how it functions, and what it does. Let me do what Jesus would like to do. Let me personalize that. The focus is now on your life, my life, 
your words, your actions, and your deeds, or the lack thereof, when it comes to what the church looks like, functions, does in this community and in the world. You do realize that Jesus said we are to be the light of the world, right? <laughs> Reflecting his light that's in us in this world. So what changes if that is true? What changes if that is really true? Well, we can't just hire some people to do the work of ministry for us, can we? We, we can't just support people and send them overseas to do the work of the ministry and then sit back and go, my work is done. Now, now clearly, like some of myself, we, we support people to be able to do certain roles in the church, roles in the church because of the needs of the church or the needs of the field. Clearly, we do that. We do support people in those roles. However, the truth is, from the Scripture and the life of Jesus and what he... Excuse me, sorry. What we had in mind is we cannot outsource what we individually are called to be and to do. A bit challenging? <laughs> uh, yes, it is, as part of a local body. So secondly, if listen, if we are these temples of the Holy Spirit, and we are, then think about it. Wherever you are, 24-7, you are the church. You're not an employee of the company you work for, although you are. You represent them, don't you? In our day and age today, what would your company do if you were doing things on Facebook or on Twitter and so forth that was disrespectful? Might affect your job, right? That's why some of you are getting off Facebook and Twitter, right? I understand. Again, my son, I don't know. Jesus said this, and it's true. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. 80, 90, 100 in a church gathering or 200 or 1,000. Yes, he's there too in us. That's how he comes alive. And so the idea that we go to church to get a whoosh, to get an experience, to, 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 to sense God through a hopefully decent message or really good worship or whatever it might be is missing a little bit or maybe a lot, the point. We have a role to play in this. And thirdly, there are many more that we could probably consider, but as we will see more deeply in our Gifts of God series that we begin next Sunday, the only way that you and I ever truly know who we actually are as disciples of Christ, as Christians is when and if we actually believe all this and practice it. Actually practice it in the church, where we're actively involved as members of the body of Christ, using the gifts he has given to us for the building up of each other in the church, not just consuming for ourselves. So, listen, and I know we all feel this from time to time, but if you're feeling like this Christian life is it just seems to be a struggle, right? Or lacking in fulfillment and exhilaration, then let me honestly and simply say, and I've said it before, this. It really comes down to the fact that you or I, if that's how we're feeling, are not really part of the church. We're really not members of the body a functioning part of his body. So first then, let's look at what Jesus had in mind for you and I individually 
before we, we look at the whole idea of the body corporately as a church. And so it was intentional I put it that way. First, we must look at what Jesus has in mind for you and I. First, before we start looking at what he has in mind for us as a church or how we should go and make him known and do ministry. In our human capacity, which is quite limited, I would suggest, we look around at, our, at the problems in our world of hunger and politics and all the rest of it, and, and we, we can see how much dysfunction and, quite frankly, evil and suffering there is in this world. And so many of us just think, well, let's do something. <laughs> Anything's better than nothing, right? And so we, we want to jump to the doing before we be and understand who we really are. The Apostle Paul knew that the one who has called us to be on mission with him, he knows better than you and I do what the problems with this world are. He knows the hearts of the presidents and the prime ministers and the leaders of all of the country. He knows your heart, my heart. He understands that. But first, Jesus wants to start with you and I, us. We must be transformed before we can do anything for him. Oh, we can do a bunch of things for ourselves and make ourselves look religious and and feel good, but it may not be for him and for the sake of his kingdom. Paul wrote, uh, and we'll be looking at this passage a lot in the gifts of God, beginning in chapter 4 of Ephesians, he wrote this, I therefore, Paul uses that therefore because he's now moving into a conclusion. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. Notice he says, I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. (laughs) He was. He was in jail when he wrote this, in prison. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you and I have been called. He pleads with us repeatedly, as we'll see today, to to be who Jesus died for and for us to be. So let's keep this in mind as we move forward. Jesus has, listen, he has a purpose and he has a divine plan. He has the purpose for your life and for mine and for the redemption and restoration of his creation, and he has a plan. It's detailed. Scripture reveals it to us. So I want to show you three things about who we are as the church that are part of his plan this morning. The first is this. We, the church, are to reflect God's holiness. That's first. And, And again, this is about you and I first, right? This is before we go and do anything. We are to reflect his holiness. Going back at the beginning of Ephesians, Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 4. He said, he chose us, he chose you and I, look, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. When? When we die? No, now. Today. Most of Paul's letters or epistles some call books. Uh, it, when you read them, you'll, you'll see very clearly that he, he likes to divide his books up to what are called doctrine and duty. There are these two sides to it. So he starts off with truth, truth, doctrine. You know, truth, these, these, these are unchangeable foundations of God's Word and who God is and what He has done, doctrine. And then he gets to, okay, this is what it means for you and for me, duty, what we're to do. And you can see that clearly when we we see it here. He opens Ephesians with the truth. And what he says here in this truth is this. If you are in Christ, you were chosen. When? Before 
the foundation of the world. Before, in the, begin, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You were chosen. If you are in Christ here today, you were chosen. Now look at this. This is important. What does it mean before the foundation of the world? Well, it means predestination. It means, but it, it clearly points to this. God always had a plan. Nothing surprised him or surprises him. So he's always had this plan. He had a perfect plan. And look again, the church was always part of that plan, that plan right? Always part of that plan. So now how then should we live as chosen ones, being holy and blameless and righteous before him? How challenging is that? Do you feel holy most of the time? Do you feel righteous most of the time? Blameless? Oh, man. I want to stay away from a mirror. What then do we discover about what concerns God first for the church? Well, I think we should discover this. He is not, first of all, concerned with what the church does, is he? Not first and foremost, but with what the church is. In God's economy, being always comes before doing. Being always comes before doing. For, for what we are determines what we do. It, it, it's true of anything in life, let alone being a disciple of Jesus, right? I mean, you cannot be <laughs> or perform at an NHL level of hockey until you are really a hockey player and an athlete. It takes a little bit of preparation, doesn't it? Before you can actually go out and be successful at anything we do. So Paul makes the point again in Romans, I love this passage, where he says in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. His language in the Greek, sorry, I'm just sniffling away up here. I apologize. Um, And again, we see the word, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, look, to present your bodies, these temples of the Holy Spirit, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your Spiritual worship. So again, in in Romans, you have 11 chapters of doctrine. Anyone studied Romans in depth? (laughs) Like, really, it's systematic theology. Those first 11 chapters are deep and wide foundational truth. Finally, (laughs) in chapter 12, he gets to, therefore, right? It's like, it's a lot of school. It's a lot of learning. It's a lot of understanding, so Paul is basically saying this. Listen, based on all this truth that I've, I've given to you in these 11 chapters about who God is and what he has done, I'm begging you. And he's speaking to himself. Look, present your bodies, these temples of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he's saying it this way. This is how you actually worship God. It isn't by going and lifting your hands and worship. It's okay to do that, by the way. It's awesome to do that. But that's not how you're, you're proving you worship God. Oh, outside the cup, it looks good. God knows your heart, my heart, how we arrived here this morning, how I arrived here this morning. Yeah. Being, not doing, being holy and righteous before him. There's a challenge, isn't there? There's a challenge. So the question then is, what's keeping you and I from being holy today? What's keeping you and I from being these holy, righteous, and blameless people today? Anyone know the three-letter word? 
It's a lovely word, isn't it? We all love this word. It's the word sin. It's, it's sin. It's not just a word. It's the action. It is sin. Now, I must stipulate, I'm going to give you some illustrations and some examples so we understand what that is better. But I must stipulate that most of these um, um, teachings that I give you this morning are for those who are already Christian. So, in, in fact, let me just put it this way. When you came to faith in Christ, if you do come to faith in Christ, it's because you have realized you are a sinner and that God is holy and righteous and perfect and that you cannot possibly be in his presence because of who you are. But you've trusted that Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross and in your place for your sins. And so we we call that in the church, in doctrine, justification by faith alone in Jesus alone, what he has done. What it actually means is this, you are saved at that point from the penalty of sin, period, because there's a penalty. Create any offense against God and you're guilty. And so all of us, in fact, are born that way and we're guilty. But then, then we have this Christian life, and there's something called sanctification, which is, is being saved. Salvation continues. We're being saved from the very power of sin in the world today. So we, we spent a fair bit of time as a church trying to understand that conundrum, <laughs> that lovely subject of sin. And, and really, we want to know it and understand it from God's mind. Like, what, how does he view that? Because I want to suggest to you, again, in the church historically, at least the churches that I've been in the past, maybe I've been in a bunch of wonky churches. I don't know about you guys. You've been in really perfect churches. But I kind of got the impression after a while that the idea was this. God has given us a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? Laws and commands and all these things. And what he's doing is he's sitting there on his throne just waiting for one of us to mess up and then zap, right? Anybody had that? I mean... Again, I I went to really weird churches. I don't know. He's just waiting around to punish us for our sin is how I think some of us have been taught. So now the Scripture teaches us that ultimately, of course, sin must be punished, that there are consequences. So as I've said before, and I'll say it again today, one of the ways we've come to understand is this. The truth is that God wants us to flourish. He wants us to live well. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us actually to be, yes, it's okay to say this, happy, joyful. He created us, and he knows better than anyone what will lead to our flourishing and to our joy. Sadly, we sometimes think we know better, right? Well, you know, he's kind of a... You know, he's kind of down on certain things, like partying and doing certain things. And, you know, like, that's why we call certain things sin taxes, right? Cigarettes and alcohol. Now we got another thing. What is that called? Oh, yes, marijuana. Yes, it's taxed it. Why? Because, well, it's hurting us if we abuse those things. And so when we choose not to obey, listen, the, the bottom line is, is that we, we know this. So when we look at the laws of God, you know, like there's the, the top 10 list, right? The 10 commandments, we know that. And, and, and we know that, you know, when we choose to step out of line, it's us that chooses to disobey his laws and the commands. We know that it leads us away from human flourishing. In fact, and I've said this before, what it actually does is it is killing us. That's what sin is doing. It's literally killing us. 
So when we sin, we are essentially taking our own lives a little bit at a time. Let me give you an illustration, a couple. Maybe it help put it best in your mind. Do any of you remember the first time that one of your lovely little children, if you have children, um, you know, like the, the first time your, your, your child, uh, you know, got, got some stitches, you know, they, they cut their chin, right? And or their cheek or their forehead, you know, and, and I, I remember that with some of our kids like, oh, and, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, my little darling's no longer perfect. And a few years later, they break a limb and you're like, it just keeps going, right? Or, or you get a new vehicle, a new car. This, is, this happened to me once because I think we only had a, a new car once. And, uh, you know, like you take it to the grocery store and then you come out and someone's dinged the door. And then it happens again, and it's no longer perfect. Or maybe let's bring it to the human level. You know, maybe you've gone to school with someone who, you know, you remember when they were in high school or grade school, and, you know, they looked healthy, you know, and, and you were too. And then, then all of a sudden you run into them again in their 30s, mid-30s, and you know what? They look a lot older. They look pretty ragged. And it's not just age. No, it's the, it's the toll that sin takes on our lives. It kills us. I spent three and a half years full-time in ministry at Union Gospel Mission. It was an amazing time. It was a difficult time, to, to be honest with you, watching um, uh, men in particular at the drug and alcohol recovery program there uh, come into the program and start doing really well and then, and then fall back onto the streets. It was really hard. I met one fellow, and one of my jobs there was to do the... the the promotions and let people know about what Union Gospel Mission was doing. And so we would have banquets once a year. And uh, I, I would make videos of uh, some of the men who had been going, going through our program who had really, really successfully been healed, you know, become Christians. And, and, uh, and one of these fellows was a man by the name of Brad. And I, I remember it really well. I was, I was sitting in the, the garden just outside the back and near the lane alley uh, behind Union Gospel Mission. And I had a camera and I was interviewing him and we were talking about you know, his life and what had happened. And, uh, you know, he had a, con- uh, a contracting company up in Prince George. He was making big money. Uh, one of his buddies introduced him to cocaine. He had a wife and two children. And in a period of 18 months, everything's gone. And he's on the downtown east side of Vancouver sticking needles into his arm. And I'm sitting across the table from this man, like in his mid to late 30s. And he, he's, he's a handsome dude. Like, you know, he's, he's a good-looking man, and he looked really healthy. And one of the things we used to do is take a picture when they arrived. And I took the picture out, and I put it in front of Brad while he was on camera, and he broke down. Because the difference was unbelievable. Sin. Sin. I, there's healing. He looked really good again. He was healed by Jesus. Now, here's a radical statement for you that I hope will also give us a bit better of an idea about this thing called sin. It's a radical statement, and it is this. You and I cannot actually break God's law. What? Do you understand that? We can't break God's law. Why? Well, that's, that's what we've been taught, right? Why, why do we even think that? Well, we've been taught that. You break God's law, and he's going to do what? Punish you, 
That's, again, certainly in my Catholic faith, that's what I was taught. And that's why you need to go to confession two to three times a week, right? Just to get cleared up, you know? Let me give you an analogy. The law of gravity. Now, that's a law of God, actually, because he is the God of science, of everything. The law of gravity, right? It's, it's a law, and you, you might think you can break it. You might actually think, you know, well, all you need to do is get a red cape, a really nice big wide red cape, find a 100-foot a, a cliff, and, and, you know, just I'm going to have faith, and I'm going to prove to people that I can break the law of gravity, and you jump. <laughs> let, let me ask you something. What are you going to break? Your neck. You're going to break yourself. We're going to break ourselves. And that's the whole point. You see, the whole point with God's laws and God's commandments are actually for our health so that we will flourish, so that we won't hurt ourselves. That's why he gives us his commandments and his laws, because he loves us. And he wants us to be truly healthy. So the truth is, there's a law of a red light, isn't there? So you, you decide it's not about breaking the law of the red light. You decide you're either going to do one of two things, right? Obey it or disobey it. Which one leads to health? Which one leads to potentially death? So Paul's exhortation then is this. Right after he talks about living sacrifices as our body, he then says this, and it's helpful for us understanding what we're dealing with in this world today. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what's the one thing that will always lead you from being who you are called to be? This world, the pattern of this world that says we know how to take care of ourselves better than God does. We know what happiness and joy really looks like. It's doing all this stuff. It's about disobeying rather than obeying. So what do you and I need to be holy, to be the people that we're called to be? Well, daily, we need to be transformed. Daily. How do we do that? By the renewing of our minds. Where does that come from? The Word of God. Daily. That's the food. That's the breakfast. That's the caffeine that we need so that we can be healthy, so that we can be who we're supposed to be. So we, the church, are first to reflect the holiness of God to this world. So now you can imagine, before we go out and do anything, we need to be these kind of people. You want to you help others? You want to actually be a change agent in our world today? You need to be this kind of person. We need to be these kind of people. Number two is this. We, the church, are to reveal God's glory. Paul goes on in Ephesians, verses 5, and then he concludes in 12. I'll put them on screen for you where he says this. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So this along with our third and final point is what the early church really got. They really got this. I love the book of Acts. We've been through it as a church. I love it because they really got it. Now, maybe, maybe it was because they were li- living in the days that where the memory of Jesus and, and the life that he lived and uh, was still alive there, and, and maybe it was because the disciples, the apostles were still alive, and they could share that with them, and there was this, this euphoria that was coming from that. Maybe, 
they knew this. They would have realized, especially after his crucifixion and his death, burial, and resurrection, however, that the first thing on his mind wasn't, wasn't, listen. It wasn't to overthrow the current Roman regime at all. That wasn't on his mind. Or, or to, to, to heal all the ills in this world, although he cares about those things. No, the church's first priority was to reflect God's holiness. And he gave us the power to do that by giving us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, in our lives and homes, and then to reveal his glory. So, so this is important. We don't have much time to go into it today, but what is his glory then? Well, we went into this in depth a few uh, months ago. Essentially, it is this. It is God himself and what he has done. And it is our knowledge of that in our spirits that we reveal to others that we share about him. I'll tell you what it's not. The glory of God is not some cloud showing up in a building somewhere. It's not gold dust coming out of the air conditioning ducts. It's not that. The glory of God is revealed in us and through us when we share who he is. So today, like in those days, people just don't know God in our world today. People don't know who he is. You know, people have asked me, you know, like what, you know, people hear the, the virgin birth, the story of Christmas, and like, don't they know that story? I, actually, they know snippets of it. They know some ideas about it, but excuse me, virgin birth? It's a little bit of a fantasy, isn't it? I mean, I'm glad you believe that, but they don't know God. They don't know his power and who he is. So this must be our first priority individually as the church. It is what we are called to be. And lastly, the purpose and divine plan that Jesus had in mind is this, that we, point number three, the church, are to be a witness of Christ. We're to be a witness first and foremost to Christ. So what then are we to be witnesses to? Well, <clears throat> Jesus told the apostles and you and I in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when he just before he ascended, he said this, but you will receive power, where from? From the Holy Spirit, who I will send to you, who will come and live in you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. So what then are we to be the witnesses of? Well, we're to be witnesses of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Well, okay, yeah, we believe it, we read it, we believe it, we can share that, but we weren't there. Were you there? I wasn't there. I'm not that old. I know it's possible. But no, we weren't there, were we? I'll tell you, and I hope you do know this today, if you're born again, if the Holy Spirit has come to reside in you and you know it, you know that you have been resurrected. You've been resuscitated spiritually to new life. And so we share our testimony with people. We don't debate politics. We don't debate creation, evolution. I mean, we can. Those are important things to discuss. These are the first things that we do. We as the church. And so then, 
we as a church, the Rock Church, we, we came to this conclusion as to what our mission is, and I'm going to put it on screen for you. <coughs> I'm sorry. After seeing these things and learning these things, we came to this conclusion that we needed a mission statement. We didn't make it up ourselves. We're taking it from what Jesus gave us, but our mission is this. The Rock Church exists to make Jesus known. Simple. That's why we exist. We are the church to make Jesus known here in Squamish, first of all, in our Jerusalem, first of all, and then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But it's got to start here with you and I individually and then into this community, which is why we do this, why we have this cafe, why we're doing is to make him known. And we accomplish our mission, look at this, by following his command. It's a command, not a suggestion, to make disciples who make disciples. And so that's it. The Apostle Peter nailed it. He nailed it when he said this in 1 Peter 2.9. He said, but you are, look, speaking about who you are and who I am in Christ, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I live in the nation of Canada. There are other nations in the world that I respect and, and, and want to honor. Not nearly as important as this one that we've been invited into. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you you see the structure there? Peter nailed this when he wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You notice the structure? You are that you may. You are first so that you may. If you study Ephesians, you will see three metaphors in the book. There's the metaphor, which we've been looking at already, of the temple, a temple. There's that metaphor. There's the metaphor of a body in this particular epistle. But there's also the metaphor of an army. (laughs) Yeah, we're part of an army. Kids sing about it, right? The Lord's army. These then are our marching orders, what we're looking at today. Being indwelt by Jesus Christ, we go and we demonstrate, we need to be demonstrating the life and character of the one who apparently lives within us. We're all called, all who are called, all who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, all are expected to be fulfilling their calling in the midst of this world. I love this old saying, which helps synthesize it for me so that I understand that my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I have a calling that I must fulfill. And it is this. Jesus gave his life for us. That's nice. That's awesome. It's important. So that he could give his life to us. So that he could live his life in us and through us. I tell you what. I know and believe more than ever that the life that he desires to live in me and through me and through you is better than any life that we can dream up for ourselves. Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit wants to encourage us to see that and believe that. So in conclusion, let me uh, read the words that I gave to you last week, and also we we will end up with these in our Gift of God series over the next three to four weeks. From Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, 
we are to grow up in every way, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a lot here, but one key thing I want to highlight for you in conclusion. The life that you've been called to as a follower of Jesus is not a solo journey. That's good news. It's not a solo journey. It was never designed to be that. We are to be members of the body of Christ, members of one another. You cannot do this on your own. You clearly can't do it without the Holy Spirit, but the Scripture teaches us you can't do it without your brothers and sisters in Christ as well. You can try. We try. But you'll end up just being a severed limb. If you think about it, right? We cannot do this without you. I suggested that last week. We cannot do this without you. And oh, we, we will try. We will try to do the work of the ministry of the church in this community and teach the kids and proclaim Jesus and do the things we're... But if we're missing certain members of our body that, and have certain gifts of the body, then... And, and specifically when it comes to discipleship and holding each other accountable and, and repentance and confession and those kind of things which help us to grow in our faith in Christ, well, it's difficult. It becomes very difficult for the church. But Jesus is faithful. If we pray to the Lord of the harvest at 10.02 every day, Luke 10.2, he will send us laborers. He will send us those who will be gifted whose joints will help us do the ministry of the church in this community so that we can reflect him, reveal him, and be a witness to those who so desperately need him. So as we dream forward to 2020, my dream, my prayer for all of you, for me, for us as a church, is that we really get this, that we reflect on this, before we come to the gathering of the church on Sunday, before we come to community group. We reflect on not what are, what are we going to get, but what are we going to give to others as the body of Christ in this world so that we all grow and we all bear witness to how good and how great our, good, our God is. Amen? Amen. Pray with me, would you?